The winter meetings are finally here, and that usually means the hot stove really heats up. And it seems like it's happening for the Orioles as well. Some reported interest in many of the top relievers on the market this offseason. We'll talk about them all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, December 4th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are taking a look at some Orioles rumors from the last week or so as it pertains to free agency and trade. The O's have been linked to basically all of the top relief pitchers on the market. We'll talk about which ones I would like to see the Orioles get the best, which ones would fit the best, and are the Orioles really willing to spend that much on a relief pitcher? And then plus, we did get another Orioles and Dylan Cease link on Sunday that we'll chat about briefly coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started today. So let's jump into it. The Orioles, over the last week or so, this really started back on Thursday, have begun to be connected to some free agents. And this will generally happen. You always see teams from the top baseball reporters, that they are connected to this guy, they've reached out to this guy, they're interested in this guy, but it hasn't happened as much with the Orioles over the past couple of years. Now, some of that has been the Orioles, as you know, have not been super active in free agency the last few seasons, but also under this Mike Elias, John Angelos front office, they haven't let a lot leak out really at all. So it's kind of surprising sometimes when the Orioles are linked to players in some of these rumors. So here are the big ones we got, and they're all about relief pitchers over the last few days. First, it was John Heyman last week on Thursday reporting that the O's have been in contact with four of the top relievers and arguably the four top closing options on the market. That's Josh Hader, Jordan Hicks, Craig Kimbrell, and Aroldis Chapman. And then a couple of days later, we got another report on Saturday, this one from John Morosi of MLB Network, who said Saturday that the O's are also showing interest in Robert Stevenson, who was the setup man for the Tampa Bay Rays this season. And you're looking at that and going, well, yeah, the Orioles certainly need a reliever. They were going to need at least one reliever anyway. And with Felix Bautista out for the entire 2024 season after undergoing Tommy John surgery and him just winning AL reliever of the year, that's a big hole to fill. I've argued the O's might need to go get two relievers this offseason to really solidify this bullpen. But a couple of weeks ago, when I did my Orioles free agent reliever wish list and, and talked about basically 10 free agent relievers that I would like to see the Orioles go after, none of these guys right here were really too, too prominent on that list. And the reason why is these are the kind of big money relievers, at least some of them, and other guys are older that scare me when they get on the mound, specifically Josh Hader, who is projected to maybe get $100 million potentially in free agency this offseason. And now, it's good to remember when we talk about these rumors, again, these are reliable sources, John Heyman and and John Morosi, very close to sources in the game. But it's good to remember that the Orioles are always going to do their due diligence on guys, right? Like, they did check in on, you know, Carlos Correa the past couple of offseasons. 
Now, we got excited about that, but it didn't mean they were going to give out the money it took to get Carlos Correa. And generally, they are going to check in with players and their agents just about, hey, what's the price? Here's what we're willing. We are interested in you, but what is it going to cost to sign you? And sometimes even just that, which the O's will do on most free agents, depending on level of interest, gets reported as interest. And technically it is, right? The Orioles would love to have Josh Hader in their bullpen, I'm sure. But when they check in and the agent says, yeah, we're looking for at least five years and $100 million, the Orioles kind of check out, right? But it still can be reported as interest. So you have to take that into account when you talk about these rumors, but... You're not really seeing the Orioles, right, connected to like, oh, they've checked in on Blake Snell or Yamamoto or Shohei Otani. There's guys that are just clearly outside of their price range set by John Angelos right now. But these are five relievers who could all be impact guys. These are five of the most notable names slash best performers on the relief market this offseason. So I wanted to just rank these guys one through five. Because, again, I didn't talk about all of them when I did my free agent reliever wish list because I just thought... Some of these guys are out of the Orioles' price range. But I wanted to talk about all five of them. See, who would fit the best, who I'd like to see the most on the Orioles. So let's start with number one. And this might be a little surprising because you could argue that number one on this list of the five is probably the least known name of the five. And that is the right-hander Robert Stevenson. Of these five guys I mentioned with the Orioles linked to, Hicks, Kimbrell, Chapman, Hayter, and Stevenson, I would put Robert Stevenson number one on the wish list for the Orioles of these guys. Now, the reason why Robert Stevenson is not super well-known is that because despite the fact that he's been in Major League Baseball since 2016, he hasn't exactly been very good that often. Stevenson was a former first-round pick by the Cincinnati Reds all the way back in 2011, now 31 years old, made it to the big leagues in 2016 with Cincinnati, but was a failed starter for three years, just was not good. So they moved him to the bullpen because he still had talent, still had stuff, and he was a first-round pick. And it got a little better at times in the bullpen, as it usually does for guys who are failed starters. But they still couldn't quite figure it out. And he did have a 3-1-3 ERA in 2021, but the other years around that, from 2019 to 22, it, it just wasn't very good in the bullpen either. And so he ends up getting traded to the Pirates from the Rockies at the deadline last year, you know, two very bad teams. He's, he comes back with the Pirates, another bad team in 2023, and he's, he's still struggling out of the bullpen. He has a 5-1-4 ERA with the Pirates. And then all of a sudden, the Rays go and trade for him. You know, before the deadline, they go and get Robert Stevenson. You're just looking at it, you're saying, the Rays see something here. And yes, he still had good stuff, good arm talent. Again, a former first-round pick who had stayed in the big leagues this long. And for the Rays to go get someone, especially a guy on an expiring contract, right, who was going to be a free agent after the season— they certainly saw something that they could fix quickly. We know the Rays are able to fix guys to varying timelines, but if they're going to get a reliever who's an upcoming free agent, they felt they could fix this guy quickly. There was one glaring thing they saw that they can make him better. And the Rays went and got him, and it was unbelievable. Down the stretch, with the Rays this season, 38 and a third inning, Stevenson threw for the Tampa Bay Rays. He had a 2.35 ERA out of the Rays' bullpen. 14 strikeouts per nine and less than two walks per nine. That is absurd numbers. It's only 38 innings. That's not a huge, huge sample size. It's solid for a relief season, but still, you know, a normal full-size relief season, you know, 60 to 70 innings. So you're looking at half of that. It's still dominance. And here's the good thing, right? Like, even though the ERA was five with the Pirates, right? 
it was pretty good in 2021. It was not good in 22. But even the last couple of years, since he went to a reliever full-time in 2019, he has still had high strikeout numbers, despite the fact that he's given up a lot of hits and given up a lot of runs. It hasn't been crazy walks, and it's still been high strikeouts the whole time. He just honed in the pitch mix with the Rays this season. The Rays came in and basically said, your slider is good. Keep throwing your slider. And he did that. That's always been his best pitch. But they said, instead of the four-seam fastball, let's try this cutter. And the cutter that Robert Stevenson had never thrown, adopted it basically as soon as he got to Tampa this year, was one of the best pitches in all of baseball. And he had never thrown it. The Rays teach him a cutter. It ends up being his number one most used pitch down the stretch with Tampa. Opponents hit 101. Again, the batting average was 101 against the cutter with a 60% swing and miss rate. It's basically just below the rate, or really higher than the rate, of, of what Felix Bautista can do with his splitter. That's how good that cutter was for Robert Stevenson. And I get it, right? He's 31 years old. He's failed a lot. And sometimes the Rays fix guys, and they go elsewhere, and they're not as good as they were in Tampa. I get all that. But the projections, and John Becker does his great you know, spreadsheet, his free agency matrix that he puts out, John Becker of Fangraphs, to basically average out all the free agency projections out there and give you a, an average number. The average number for a Robert Stevenson contract projection is three years, $30 million. Yes, that's a significant investment in a relief pitcher for an Orioles team that has shown that it is very willing and able to kind of patch together a bullpen off the scrap heap. Failed starters from their own system, guys they claim off waivers, whatever it may be, they've put together a really good bullpen over the past few years doing just that. So maybe that makes them even less likely to spend $30 million and commit three years to a reliever for a team that hasn't given out a multi-year contract to anyone in free agency since Michael Elias and crew took over. I get that. But if they're going to do it and give it to a reliever and sure up this bullpen, Stevenson could be the guy. Now, he hasn't been a closer, right? And you worry about who's going to fill that role with Bautista out. But if the Orioles just get good relievers and they pair Stevenson with Yenir Cano and CNL Perez and Danny Coulomb and maybe a healthy Dylan Tate potentially coming back. He's been throwing at driveline this offseason and looks to be healthy, so that's a great sign for the Orioles. You put all that together and maybe you can close your by committee early and you can find a guy who likes that role and steps in through the end part of the season until Felix comes back. And then if you get multi-years for Stevenson, when Bautista is back as your closer in 2025, you've got another lockdown setup man in Robert Stevenson. That would be the number one on my list. But that's not saying the other four guys can't help you, right? And we'll get to number two and three on the list coming up next because, yeah, it's, it's probably surprising that I didn't put Josh Hader number one, but he's, he's still going to be on this list, and we'll talk about him coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Now, the Orioles, they're not playing anymore. The Ravens, well, they didn't even play this weekend, had the bye week, but still got the NFL season going on, and you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 
So we're talking about some Orioles rumors from over the weekend. Pretty much all going into relief pitching, as it looks like, at the very least, the Orioles are checking in and interested in the top of the relief market, as they've been connected to Josh Hader, Jordan Hicks, Craig Kimbrell, Orlis Chapman, and Robert Stevenson over the last week or so. And ranking one through five, how much I would want to see each of those guys on the Orioles. With Robert Stevenson at number one, we'll go to number two, and that is Josh Hader. Now, Josh Hader has much more sustained success and is a dominant closer and should be well above Robert Stevenson. I just couldn't put him at number one because I can't see the Orioles signing Josh Hader, right? Like, even though it seems kind of out of the Orioles' realm to sign a guy like Stevenson for $30 million in three years for a reliever nonetheless, the fact that on John Becker's free agency matrix, the average contract for Josh Hader for the projections is five years, $102 million. The Orioles in this state under Angelos are just not giving out $100 million to anyone, let alone a relief pitcher. And I get Josh Hader is a lockdown, no doubt about it, top five relief pitcher in all of baseball and has been for years now. But $100 million for a relief pitcher, even me, who's like, just spend what it costs, go get the best players, that's a lot of money for a relief pitcher, even if it is Josh Hader. And especially with the Orioles, I don't see them doing it. So if you're looking for value, too, and you have to take that into account, unfortunately, with how John Angelos runs this team, that's why Hader's down at two. Doesn't mean he's not dominant, right? He'll be 30 in April, the left-hander, has just been fantastic in his career. We know the Orioles picked him out of Old Mill High School down the street in the 19th round in 2012, ended up trading him to the Astros for Bud Norris, bounced around, finally made the big leagues with the Brewers and has been incredible, traded to the Padres at the 2022 deadline, was great with San Diego, and now is a free agent for the first time in his career. Now, 2023 for Josh Hader was an incredible season. 56 and a third innings, 1.28 ERA, 33 saves, 37% strikeout rate, 13% walk rate. He's had a sub-3 ERA in six of his seven big league seasons so far. Really, his only bad season was 2022 when he split the year between the Brewers and the Padres. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that the Brewers, who were in the race, traded their all-star closer to the Padres at the deadline last season. It kind of messed with Tater's head, it seemed like, and he did struggle down the stretch with San Diego. And he wasn't as great in the first half anyway with the Brewers as he had been in the past. But that weird scenario was the only season he's been bad. He has been dominant every other year. Here's the issues with Josh Hader for the Orioles. One, we know the past. And you talk to people around Baltimore who knew Josh Hader when he was around here. Doesn't have a lot of fans in the area. I'll tell you that in terms of the kind of person he is. But, you know, we'll see. You've also got the role he plays. And this is totally his prerogative, right? Like, more power to him. He refuses to pitch before the ninth and refuses to pitch more than one inning. He's shown that with the Brewers and the Padres over the last few years. He has said it publicly. His role is the ninth. He wants the ninth. Yeah, he'll pitch the tenth if it's a save situation, but only if he didn't pitch the ninth. He's not going more than one inning either. It's something he did earlier in his career with the Brewers. As he's gotten older, gotten more power, he doesn't want to do that. And that's okay, but that's an issue when you look at how the Orioles have used their relievers, specifically Felix Bautista, and if they're going after a guy in Hader who would, at least for next year, fill in for the injured Felix Bautista. Bautista's at his best when he's going two innings, getting the strikeouts, the O's, you know, on the road, tie game, extra innings. They get one run in the top half, and then the strikeouts come. You get the guys out with the zombie runner staying at second, and you win the game by one. Felix Bautista did that four times last season, and it was huge. 
And multiple other times, Bautista came in with one or two outs in the eighth, got out of a jam, and then finished the ninth for Orioles wins. Hater just will not do that, and something you have to take into account if you're giving out $100 million. So he's still the most talented reliever of these five. It's just, it's not going to happen in Baltimore. Now, it's hard to put him below second because that's just crazy, but in general, I don't think it's going to happen. But again, would he make this team better? He, he absolutely would make this team better. Third on the list is Jordan Hicks for me. Jordan Hicks is an interesting reliever, right? Everyone knows him for the fact that he can run it up there to 104 on the gun with the fastball. His average fastball velocity, 100.3 miles per hour last season with the Cardinals and then was traded to the Blue Jays at the deadline. His stats last year, 65 and two-thirds innings, 3290 ERA, 58% ground ball rate, which is really good, 28% strikeout rate, lower than we're used to with Hicks, but an 11% walk rate was also a little lower than we're used to as well. He kind of found the zone a little bit more, and that was after back-to-back seasons with the Cardinals where there were questions. Had a 5-4 ERA in 2021, had a 4-8 ERA in 2022 after a really dominant early career for the 27-year-old righty who people might have thought, is he kind of losing it right? He was walking more batters, wasn't getting as much swing and miss, wasn't getting as many grounders. He kind of reeled it back in and got back to what made him good this year. He's still going to be wild at times, but he throws a sinker that is like, I know it's average 100, but it seems like at times pretty consistently 102. That pitch is nasty. That gets a lot of people out. The projection from John Becker's free agency matrix is also four years and $44 million. So you're looking at even more years and more money than Robert Stevenson, potentially. And if you just look at last year, at least, Stevenson was much better, even though Hicks was good. I would love Jordan Hicks, right? I mean, he's got great stuff. And you lose Felix Bautista at 100 miles an hour, and you replace him with Jordan Hicks at 100 miles per hour. You could do a lot worse at the back end of the Orioles' bullpen. I just worry about the command issues and also a little bit about the price because of the Orioles not being willing to spend any money. I just, if you can get Stevenson for even a similar price, I just think he's a much better investment at this point than Jordan Hicks is, although he is only 27 years old. So probably still a lot of years left in the game for Hicks. But of the five, for me, honestly, those three, Hayter, Stevenson, and Hicks, I'd be fine with it for different reasons, and I'd talk about it with the Orioles signing. I think they would clearly make the O's better. The last two guys on the list, the two veterans in their mid to late 30s, Kimbrell and Chapman, they scare me a lot. They're connected to the O's, but they scare me a lot, and we will talk about that coming up next to finish off the pod. So the Orioles have been connected to a lot of free agent relievers lately, talking about them on today's episode. Some veterans who could come in and help an O's bullpen, which did struggle at times last year and now will be without the AL reliever of the year with Felix Bautista out all of next year with Tommy John surgery. But before we get to these final two guys on the list, I wanted to tell you that Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. So go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. So at the end of this list of the five relievers the Orioles have been connected to, these are the two that I would kind of stay away from for the Orioles. Number four, though, is Craig Kimbrell. Kimbrell, 35-year-old right-hander. John Becker's projection for the free agency matrix is cheaper. It's the projection of a one-year, $10 million deal. I think that's probably what Kimbrell's going to get because there's still a lot of questions at this point in his career. Now, he's looked a little closer to vintage Kimbrell. 
at least this season. With the Phillies, 69 innings, 23 saves, 326 ERA, 34% strikeout rate, and a 10% walk rate was, was down from some years where Craig Kimbrell really did struggle, especially in 2022. But remember back in 2021, he was great. It's kind of been back and forth, like whether or not Kimbrell has found it, lost it, found it, lost it. And when you get into 35 and above, you just don't know. The fastball velocity is dipping a little bit as well, so it's something to keep an eye on. I just think for Kimbrell, like, he's much better at this point and more reliable, I think, than the next guy we're going to talk about. But if you're going to spend on a reliever, and I get that if he's only one year $10 million, it's much more in that Orioles price range that they've set. I would probably go after someone younger that has a little more upside. I mean, I understand that if you just want to fill the closer role, Craig Kimbrell has been doing the closer role for more than a decade now. So I understand that part of it. He is used to that ninth inning. And it might be better than putting someone who hasn't really done it before into the ninth to try and replace Bautista. And you only have to sign him for one season. And then when Felix is back, Kimbrell hits free agency again if it's just a one-year deal. I just, he causes a lot of fans a lot of stress because he walks guys and he's a little erratic and he takes forever on the mound and he's not the same Kimbrel he used to be. It would be an okay signing, like I wouldn't mind it, right? It would make the bullpen better. I would be a little wary of it. However, number five on the list is the absolute stay away, don't even think about it. It made me actually angry to see the Orioles connected to Aroldis Chapman in any way. He's going to be 36 next year. John Becker's free agency matrix projection is a two-year, $20 million contract for Aroldis Chapman. And I get that, like, the strikeouts were up this year, and especially when he was with the Royals early in the season before he was traded to the Rangers near the deadline. Like, he was really good with the Royals early in the year. And all in all, this season, 58 and a third innings, 309 ERA, 41% strikeout rate, and 15% walk rate. Those are two of his best numbers combined since, like, his 2018 season. Like, he was a little better last year or this year than he has been the past few seasons. But then you watch him in the postseason, even against the Orioles, where he escaped, like, he he escaped in game one. The Orioles kind of let him off the hook after he walked the first two batters of that eight, eighth inning and just gets the double play. Santander strikes out Mount Castle and keeps it a one-run Rangers lead. He didn't look good. And that was his first appearance of the postseason. Well, he did appear in one game of the wildcard series, but first, like, high leverage appearance of the postseason, and it didn't get any better. Every time he came in there, Bruce Bochy was with a short leash, he was just throwing him in there for lefty pockets. You know, the old Chapman was like, I can go get anybody with 103. He was lefty pockets, and he was mostly coming out after three batters. Like, the three-batter minimum, Chapman would throw it, and boom, Bruce Bochy going back to the Rangers' bullpen. I don't know what you've seen from Aroldis Chapman really through the last, I don't know, three or four years that makes you think he's going to help your team more than he hurts it. It's, it's not good. It's a disaster to watch. It's so many walks. And he can find it like that. I mean, he can throw seven straight balls and then throw the nastiest fastballs and sliders back-to-back -back you've ever seen. That's vintage Chapman. But when you have no idea where you're getting when he goes out there, he's 36 years old. It's a disaster to watch. Like, every fan base that has him on their team, even though he's even when he's been successful, it, it is not fun to watch him pitch. And then you add in everything that comes with the role as Chapman. First of all, history of domestic violence. He does not need to be anywhere near this Orioles clubhouse. Players don't like Aroldis Chapman. Remember what happened with the Yankees a couple years back? He just didn't report to the team in September, and they said, all right, we don't know where you are, basically, and they left him off the postseason roster. Remember, he missed time because a tattoo he got got infected, and then he just didn't come back to the team. 
it's not a good guy to have around your clubhouse, your team, your organization for many different reasons. I get the Orioles are doing the due diligence of checking in on these guys. There is no reason at all, at all, to bring in a role as Chapman. There's no reason. So he, I mean, top three, I'll take him. Kimbrell, eh. Chapman is like, you know, the money ball line, 50 feet of crap. And then there's a role as Chapman. Don't want any part of it. I think, I hope most of you agree, like on field, off field combined, don't want any part of that for the Orioles. But overall, with these rumors, it is nice to hear that the Orioles are maybe thinking about spending a little bit of money. I'll wait until they actually do it to believe it's going to happen because nothing that Angelos and Elias and company have showed us over the past few years says they're going to spend, you know, even $30 million over three years on a reliever like Robert Stevenson. But we shall see. Hopefully they can improve this team this offseason. But we did get one more rumor, not not a new one, more of an extension of one on Sunday night. John Morosi of MLB Network tweeting out that the White Sox are continued in trade conversations for Dylan Cease. And he named three teams. It was the Braves, it was the Dodgers, and it was the Baltimore Orioles, named by Morosi, who he reported are legitimately in trade talks with the White Sox for Dylan Cease. Now, we had heard last year the Orioles were going after Cease at the deadline. The White Sox asked for Jackson Holiday. The Orioles said no, and that was kind of the end of those discussions before the 2023 trade deadline. Now that he's only got, you know, at that point he had two and a half years of control. Guys are always more expensive at the deadline. Now he's got just two years of control, and you can usually get a guy for less when you trade for him in the offseason. The Orioles still have the prospects it takes to go get him. I know he wasn't as good this year, but he's still got ace stuff and would be at the top of that Orioles rotation, would be a huge addition to this team. You got to go get a starter. The chip's got to fall at some point. You got to trade away some of these prospects to go get some talent. You got too many of these young guys to play, and there's too many good players out there that you can go get. It just seems to be the time. So we shall see. Keep our eye on it with Dylan Cease. Again, nice to see the Orioles involved in these discussions, but I'd love to see it. The Orioles, the team that wins the discussion, gets this thing across the finish line. And we'd love to see them bring in Dylan Cease. But I'll be back tomorrow on the podcast, hopefully talking about an Orioles move, right? Winter meetings really kicking off today in Nashville for the next three days. You've got all the GMs, all the baseball people, all the media. Everybody converges on Nashville for the winter meetings. And because of that, a lot of deals generally do happen. We still are waiting on Shohei Otani. He might get the ball rolling. Reports are saying that he'll sign at some point this week. Maybe he frees things up for other moves to happen. No matter what it is, winter meetings are always exciting and kind of kickstarts really the baseball offseason and the moves being made. So I'll be back with you tomorrow on the pod. We will break down anything, news, rumors, maybe actual moves that the Orioles make on day one of the winter meetings in Nashville. And I want to let you all know, hey, Spotify Wrapped came out. If Locked on Orioles was in your Spotify Wrapped, Send me an email, LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. I'll shout you out on the show. would love to see and thank you all for the support. So a lot of people already send me the screenshots and can't believe you're listening to this many hours, this many minutes of my voice, but I do appreciate so, so much the support here in 2023. But again, back tomorrow with all the latest from the Orioles at the winter meetings. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.